Do you talk about it with your friends? Do you dare talk about it with your grandparents? The Sealed Section, talking everything sex for everyone. Hey Shaggers, now I just have to chuck a trigger warning on this episode. There's discussions around domestic violence, sexual assault, sexual harassment, sexual abuse, rape, a whole lot of really sensitive topics so I just wanted to give you guys the heads up before you listen to this episode. Now I'm going to start this off with enough is fucking enough. Year after year after year after year, women have to fucking get angry and stand up for ourselves because we keep finding ourselves in a position where we can't walk home at night safely, where we're continually being assaulted, harassed, raped, fucking murdered. We aren't safe. And unfortunately, whatever people have been trying to do to change this, since the whole time I've been alive, it isn't fucking working. And I know your first argument for anyone who has an argument against this, but it's not all men. Honey, we fucking know that. And I've seen some really great analogies going around. So if you're one of those people that says not all fucking men, just listen up. You've got a swarm of bees coming towards you. Now you know that these bees aren't out to necessarily sting you. You know that if they all come towards you, they're not all going to try and sting you. However, are you just going to stand there? No, you fucking run away from the bees because you know there's a potential that one might sting you. And that just off one is enough to make you run away. And here we are with one in three women being fucking assaulted and you tell us not all men. Like... We get that it's not all men. However, it's more to that. Yeah, not all men might assault assault you or rape you or murder you or abuse you or do whatever. But a lot of men make really horrible comments about women. A lot of men don't understand consent and don't know that no means no. A lot of men send unsolicited dick pics. A lot of men let rape comments slide a lot of men do a lot of fucked up shit and let it slide a lot of men stay friends with their rapist friends so it's more than just the men who do physical harm it's more than that and it's so frustrating for people not to understand that now I had the opportunity of recording with Ambition A Daily about a month ago and it's crazy how now is the time that the episode's dropping and all this shit is happening in the world and it's just so timely because Amber came on and talked about her experiences in domestic violent relationships, her past experiences where she has been sexually assaulted and we talked about going through that, the even process of reporting that how to cope, overcoming that, going into new relationships, how people dating someone who has past trauma, how to approach that relationship and how to respond to their sexual triggers. We discussed, honestly, 
so much that I I'd be here doing another two-hour episode if I just talked about everything we did. So it's a really heavy discussion, but also really lighthearted at the same time. Amber was amazing, and she's such a beautiful soul, and you can hear it when she's speaking. And I'm so fortunate that she chose me to open up to and allowed all you shaggers to listen to her story because it's so important, and unfortunately, it's all too common of a story. So thank you to Amber for opening up about her past experiences and honestly still her current experiences. This isn't over for Amber and she's still going through a lot. This episode has been broken up into two so you'll get part one today and part two next week. I had to split it up because Amber and I spoke for over two hours and honestly I think we could have spoken for days because there was just so much to dissect. So I hope you shaggers really get something out of today's episode. Welcome to the show, Amber. Thank you so much for coming on. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, really good. Thank you. Good to hear. Are you able to please introduce yourself to my listeners and let them uh, them know a bit about you and your background? Sure. Um, My name's Amber. I... I'm currently living in Sydney. Um, I've been working within the sex industry for about a year and a half now. Um, I've been a professional dancer for the last couple of years, so the last 10 or 11 years. Um, I'm a bit of a creative soul, enjoy my photography and writing. Um, and in between that, I'm, I'm kind of just a pirate, really. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> How did you get into like the sex industry and your professional dancing and everything? Um, it's a bit of a, a tricky one, that one, because I guess a lot of people have very similar stuff to mine, um, but I think you don't hear them often enough. So I got into sex work uh, very, I mean, I know I've said that I've only done a year and a half. Um, but that's like, I guess, taking it more as a profession rather than just uh, the latest craze, if I may yeah. say. Um, so I started when I was 18 as a stripper um, just to make that extra cash. And how I came about that was basically loneliness mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because my partner was uh, in the army at the time. So he was never home and I found myself just kind of, wasting time sitting around at home doing nothing so I figured I could do nighttime work considering I was wasting my time on Xbox um so I did stripping instead yeah <laughs> so I went from gamer to a to a dancer um rather bizarre it didn't really quite fit me at the time because uh, being 18 19 I was kind of just starting to find myself and mm-hmm. I don't think you really truly find yourself within that industry comfortably enough until you're at least like 21 22 sort of because yeah. um, I think there's a lot more experiences that you have that I guess help you engage your sexuality as well and I think when you're just fresh coming out onto the scene it's a bit hard to establish your personality your identity like you don't actually really know who you are um, so that was my problem and my difficulty then um, as I got into my late 20s I had children, did the whole engagement sort of thing, and I had a, a terrible relationship that was domestically violent, um, up and down. Um, and then after we had had our breakup, I, I guess my vulnerability started the show through. So 
I was attracting what I was putting out. So I wasn't very, um, I guess I wasn't very happy within myself. I wasn't, I didn't have the best self-esteem, not the most confident either. So I was attracting those sorts of people that were negative and toxic. And um, that's what ended up uh, putting me in a difficult situation with men and women. Um, And I say that because a lot of the time women think that it's just men that come across as the CD perverted ones, but there's also a lot of women as well out there that are just as bad. Um, and so I've encountered both and I went through a, a period there where I went through a lot of abuse that wasn't in a relationship or anyone that I had known as such, um, just being at the wrong place at the wrong time and encountered, a, I guess, what you would now call rape. Um, yeah and sexual assault and that didn't really quite hit me at the time because I was kind of desensitized after the domestic violent relationship so I kind of just found it a normal adjustment for myself to just take it as it was um and that's how I got into stripping was and sex work as a profession was because it was going to build my self-esteem in a different way I wasn't looking for the self-esteem buildup of oh I'm so good at something or um that like I needed to be told that I was beautiful or anything like that. I kind of just needed to re-engage in sex in a different aspect, I suppose, um, and see it from a different perspective. So rather than it being a lovemaking sort of scenario is what I had known for a long time in my life, um, now I wanted it to be more of a unattached sort of sexual intimacy with someone where I, I didn't have to engage conversation. I didn't have to talk about my feelings. Um, and I could just leave it on the back burner sort of thing and just reinvent myself, if that makes sense. So that's how I got into sex work, basically. Yeah. Did you find that detachment helped with your healing at all and, like, getting back into, like, your sexual body? Yeah. Um, look, I find sex work very empowering. Um, I do understand that it's also something that sometimes comes from a place of pain and a place mm-hmm. of hurt um or deep trauma and that's also okay but I think that that's the reason why a lot of us women and men turn to sex work in regards to that because it's almost like the same thing as BDSM you're you're healing yourself at the same time allowing yourself to feel the pain and be confronted and I guess sex isn't something that we all favor in sex work it's sort of just something that becomes a career but at the same time helps you reinvent yourself and become someone else for the moment so you're kind of empowering yourself to be more of a warrior than just a woman. Um, And for me, I found that just attachment and becoming disassociated with sex, love and intimacy and ruling it down as, I guess, a a way of um, coming out as a a fun, sexy, crazy woman who wasn't uh, the same old everyday Amber that you see out in the street that you'd perceive to be that girl that works at the cafe or whatnot. Um, What I did by the nighttime was, heal my own traumas by having close intimate sexual relations with people that I didn't need to get to know um mm-hmm. and a lot of the time they wanted to get to know me which I guess in a way it helped me express myself more through sex yeah. so I did enjoy that um but there are also definitely some downsides to the whole um scenario when it comes to trauma and sex work because some days you can't reinvent yourself or engage and you're not present and I think being present is a something that we should be mindful of especially in relationships but intimacy itself and consent um, being present is key and sometimes I found myself with 
alcohol issues and things like that, that I wasn't present enough with myself or other people to be aware of whether or not I was consenting or if it was just guilt. So that was very difficult to separate. Yeah. Have you found a way now to be able to separate consent from guilt and understanding that? Definitely. Um, You're always, I think things always are forever changing. So it's inevitable that, you know, you may not feel the same an hour later, you know, as as soon as you've given consent. Um, I think the key thing is having uh, open communication and being able to establish boundaries. Those sorts of things are really hard to do if you're under the influence of anything. Mm. Yeah, Um, of course. And that even goes for not just being intoxicated or under the influence of drugs, but also under the influence of uh, trauma as well. Like if you're still healing, it's very difficult for you to confidently consent to anything, whether it be a verbal consent or um, a sexual consent. Like you don't really know exactly what you want at that time. So I think the easiest way to separate guilt um, from consent is re-engaging with yourself and just being self-aware. Is it what you want? Are you ready for this? Uh, Does it have consequences? Are the consequences worth it? Um, Is it something that I'll be wearing as shame afterwards? Is it going to be humiliating, embarrassing or disempowering anyway? Um, Is it going to uh, create a toxic attachment or, you know, those sorts of questions, I think, are something that we need to ask ourselves. But also, again, they're not questions that we are always thinking about in the moment Mm, either. So as long as you're not feeling pressured, I think, as long as you can eliminate pressure and feel like it's something that you're able to do at your own will, then that completely separates the guilt. But if you feel like you're obligated, then no, I think that that's when you need to pull away and realise that that's a, a guilt feeling that you're feeling or a bit of shame even. Yeah. Say for someone who's maybe gone into it, they're feeling okay, but then they've realized afterwards it's not. Is there any kind of like debriefing or anything they can do afterwards to try and help, you know, realize what's happened and how to be okay with that or not be okay with that, but how to cope with it? I think that's a really, that's an interesting question because it's something that I've only, I guess, in the last year had to ask myself. Um, Because I did have an incident where someone that I had known and not known very well um, had raped me. Yeah. And uh, I was obviously under the influence at the time we were having a party, but it was kind of, it was, it was pressured and it was guilt at the same time. And I was worried and I was uncomfortable and anxious. So you do things without even realizing that you're making the wrong decision out of the fact that you're so anxious that you can't even think straight. You just want that anxiety to go away. Yeah. Um, so that was something that I found really difficult for me is because I can't seem to separate my anxiety from awkward situations or um, circumstances. And so I go in thinking that, no, it's okay. I, I know I am able to be aware and present and that I've got my shit together, but sometimes you don't have your shit together. Mm-hmm. So um, I think with trying to understand whether or not it was a mistake, Um, comes to how you are feeling the next morning or how you're even feeling during that time. If you have that slightest feeling that there is something wrong, that this doesn't quite feel right, um, especially when it comes to sex, I think that if you're engaging sex with someone that you don't know very well and it starts to feel as if 
it's not just the sex they're after, they're after a little bit more, um, mm -hmm. like taking advantage of you or wanting to kind of inflict pain upon you. Um, and I think that that is something that settles in your gut first where you're like, uh oh, like I don't really feel like this, this isn't what I was expecting. And you can't communicate that sometimes during sex because you're in that moment and they're in that moment and yeah, I guess you just kind of get a little bit sidetracked. You don't really know how to engage that conversation during the act of sex, yeah. really. That's difficult. Mm. Um, so I think if after it's happened and you're feeling really uneasy and you're unsure, the best thing to do is ask your closest friends. Um, it's a bit hard to understand whether or not it's rape or sexual assault, and it still is till today. Like, unfortunately, that's how it is. It's normalised too. Um, so yeah. sex in, in every way is normalised. So how the fuck are we supposed to separate rape from assault to harassment to, you know, whatever else comes in between? It's very difficult. Um, because if you've already consented in a way at the beginning and you feel like you've already spoken about it or you're pretty... Um, what's the word, say transparent in regards to sex, and then you're doing it and something comes out of the ordinary, like say they slap you, which has happened yeah. a few times. Yeah. You might be in a bit of shock, you know, like where the fuck did this come from? Um, and you don't know how to direct it in a softer way, I guess, because now you're shocked and now you don't know where this is going and quite possibly you're a little bit anxious and scared. That's mm -hmm. really difficult to understand whether or not now this is a situation where it's rape, assault or harassment. How do you separate that? Yeah. Um, I personally couldn't answer that specifically because at that point in time when you've consented to something, although you, you thought it was transparent, later on when you realise that that was something that was not what you thought it was going to be or that you consented to, you walk away feeling like as if you're a victim or that you're a liar. Um, yeah. And that's how the other person will perceive you to be. Like, bullshit. Like, you said it was all good. Like, we had sex. You were consenting. I didn't rape her. I didn't sexually harass her or hurt her. Like, it's very difficult to be that person on that receiving end when you realise that, holy shit, that's not exactly what I imagined it to be. But at the same time, I did say yes. Where do you go with that? Yeah, it's um, such a hard one. And especially yeah. you raise such an important point. How do you separate what is sexual assault, harassment and rape? Because it's just so hard in those different moments to know what's what, and especially when we're so uneducated, especially with yeah. the, like sex education system, they don't break those things down. And it's like, how do you yeah. know what's what? And yeah, it's just such a hard, hard you know um what's the word just a hard thing to like even understand it is. and yeah I know I've found myself in situations where I say no so many times to someone but then I just give up and say yes because all my anxiety comes over and like it's easier if I just say yes but then it's like well yeah. I said yes so that's consensual but all those times I said no is that like it just it's such a blurred line yeah. it's like what is that that is a blurred line and that's a really good point as well because, yeah, I, I find a lot of us women, even men, um, have that problem where we, we're not exactly consenting but that pressure or that guilt or that shame comes over us and we're like, actually, uh, fuck it, I'll just do it because we feel obligated. And it kind of yeah. comes with the same thing as when you go out on a date even on Tinder or 
Bumble, you know, you're trying to meet new people. And the minute you go out, they're like, oh, I'll get you dinner or they pick up the bill, they get you a drink. And even if you're not out on a date or you just out at the bar, same thing, they'll get you a drink. But then they think that, you know, after two drinks that they're worthy of sleeping with. Yeah, and they, they convince do. you. Yeah. Right? And you're yeah. like, when you add that up, you're like, that's 14 bucks. I'm, I'm worth more <laughs> than yeah. 14 bucks, you know, like, yeah. what the fuck? But then that guilt sets into you and you feel like kind of trapped in a way. So you say yes anyway because you feel like, oh, well, he did buy me a drink. And I know that that's stupid for us to think, but that's the feeling you get. And because it's so normalised as well, it's like, well, what am I supposed to do? Because even online, your your social medias, all the platforms, even movies, magazines, everything, they portray us women to be, obligated or more than obligated to give up a part of ourselves that pretty well seems as if it's owned by men in general anyway because when it comes to a drink out um dinner out or even just doing you a favor or getting you something nice or being there for you even as just company or a friend you sometimes feel that pressure of obligation to sleep with someone to fulfill that void for them so that they feel like they've done a good job. It's like a reward. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that it is. for me makes me feel absolutely disgusted some days to be a woman when I can't even have, um, you know, normal company come around, sit down, have a cup of tea, um, maybe even go out for the day without feeling like, oh, hang on. I need to pay for this also. I need to pay for this company with my body now. Mm-hmm. That is hard. It's difficult, yeah, but it that's is. how it is. It is. It's That's so true. It's literally how it is. And it's so normalised that that's how it is. So then when you're in that situation, even if you're, you're feeling, you know, like, oh, I don't want to do this, sometimes yeah. even because it's so normalised, just to have the confidence to break against that, what is expected yeah. is so hard it's so hard yeah. even just and you can't they, tell the difference no you can't and even things like if they come over to your house because they're coming over to like watch a movie or whatever there's that expectation if they come into your house that they get to have sex with you if they're in your oh, yeah. space and it's so hard to try and separate that I know I found myself now I have to tell them don't come over if you're expecting just to root me because I can't deal with the pressure of when they do get there because I just, I don't know, it sounds bad what I'm saying, but I just don't have the confidence to to say no when it gets to that point. I think that is so normal, so normal. Um, I think saying no for a woman becomes really difficult, I mean, even a guy as well, but women at the moment as the target at the moment for the audience is more the fact that women find it difficult to say no because they've probably come from a place in in their lifetime where it may not have been a sexual partner. It may have just been uh, something within the family where saying no got you in more trouble. Um, yeah. Small things like that. And I found with my domestic violent relationship that when I said no, that pressure was on me to feel bad about saying no. Mm-hmm. And so I was now feeling obligated to give up my body, my mental health, my emotional status, my financial status, everything. I gave up my whole life to the word no. Um, and that was because I was too frightened to turn around and say it. Mm-hmm. Um, now that I am single and starting to find myself more after all these years, no is becoming a lot easier. But the thing that's not easier about it is the fact that now I'm not having to say the word no. I will be very open about how I'm feeling. Like recently I had mentioned to someone, look, do you have any expectations if you're 
coming around for the night or for the end of the night? Do you have any expectations? Just want to be transparent and platonic. And they're like, no. But then in the end, that that completely switched, you know. Yeah. Yes, I consented to it and I did feel like it, but I was very, very positive from the beginning that if we're going out for drinks, I don't want to bring him home. I don't want to sleep with him. I don't want to make that mistake. I don't want to come across easy and nor is that something to be concerned about or feel is wrong, but I wanted to look for something more than just sex you know I wanted to find respect in a man like where I could still go out and have coffee with him and not feel awkward rather than having sex within the first night and then feeling like the only time we're ever going to hang out is when he wants to fuck um Mm -hmm. not cool with that (laughs) I want more intimacy like I'm not wanting attachment but it is nice to have a connection with someone rather than it just being everything about your pussy yeah Yeah, no, for sure. You just spoke about like your domestic violence relationship. Are you going to explain what domestic violence is and abuse and the forms of um, that abuse can come in? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think it's it's something that we're constantly learning about. To be honest with you, now that uh, there's so many different forms of abuse, especially portrayed on our social medias um, or any platform. These sorts of uh, scenarios, situations, circumstances are all evolving. Um, so now these kinds of people, whether they be gaslighters, narcissists, um, abusive in emotional, mental, physical, sexual, these sorts of people are able to not just research and define it a little bit more and create a better version of it, but they're able to know the tricks of the trade really. So they're getting all the feedback from women like us by doing things like this and they're understanding what the red flags are. So they're already aware Mm. about the things that we already know about these types of people. So they can avoid it to a degree. Yeah. Um, I have made that mistake recently where I was in a a recent relationship that was very abusive and not uh, in a physical sense. It was more of an emotional and mental sense. This took the cake above all of it, you know, and this sounds terrible, but I would much rather be hit in the face than be emotionally and mentally tortured with. Um, I found that that debilitated me so much more than any physical abuse or sexual harassment or um, sexual abuse could ever do to me, mainly because my body can heal, but I feel like your mind your spirit, your soul, it doesn't bloody heal, especially when it's being targeted emotionally and mentally. Um, It's very sensitive, I guess, and you're very vulnerable once you've come out of situations and moved into another one. You're sort of like, why am I attracting the same shit? And I think that the reason for us attracting the same shit quite often is not because we're putting out what we're trying to attract or what what we don't want to attract, sorry, but the fact that we're so traumatized that we try to move beyond that and try to heal and try to rediscover ourselves and reinvent ourselves. And whilst we're trying to do that, we get lost in it. So any sort of emotional or mental connection that we have with people, we're easily taken away with that, Um, easily convinced that these people are lovely, down-to-earth, kind, giving, understanding, and that they're similar to us. And they are. They're similar because... 
they understand the abuse so much better than we could ever understand it mentally or emotionally because they're the ones inflicting it and it's coming from a place of uh, I guess wanting to have the control um, losing that possessiveness and uh, gaining at un unnatural and toxic attachment to someone because of the fact that they feel that they um, have been abandoned before in the past so it's a fear of abandonment as well um, so I feel that we just continuously go in this cycle where we do develop this I guess chain reaction to a degree where we're constantly having to fulfill the void to heal um, by being around these types of people to learn more about ourselves and I guess it's probably not the healthiest way to go about it but they're things that we don't really realize because within those people is something familiar. And yeah. if there's something familiar, even though it doesn't stand out like dog's balls, the subconsciousness is understanding that, oh, hang on, this is something that I am, you know, I guess attracted to, to a degree that I'm um, familiar with and that I feel safe with and content, which is horrible coming from a place of trauma. But when your subconsciousness recognizes something it isn't until it's too late that it goes oh hang on that wasn't just my subconscious recognizing that this is a place of familiarity but it's also coming from a place of hey red flags look out like this is not a good idea so learning to trust your intuition um, is probably the the bestest um, advice that I can give for that scenario yeah no definitely and I suppose it would be hard to when coming out of trauma especially if you're wanting that connection to try and help heal and then you come across this person that does give you that familiar familiar familiarity and just the, the attachment the mm. oh my god this is so good this one's going to be you know going to be good even though there is those red flags but you've just got like those rose colored glasses on like I just want this good experience yeah. I just want something that's going to be the right thing for me and then you just miss all those other things and just the little red flags they build up so easily I know oh, yeah. I'm a shocker I it doesn't matter how many red flags I still just like I look at all the positive because I just have this like you know those glasses on and I'm just trying to yeah. And it is that subconscious attachment because I don't understand. I'll lay there in bed and I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? This doesn't make sense. Yeah. I know how illogical this is and how much, you know, all my friends are telling me, what are you doing? <laughs> but in yeah. that moment, you just all the, you could just, I hold on to those good things and attach onto them so hard and it's so oh, hard definitely. to break down. It's, it's hard to, I guess, separate yourself from that feel-good endorphins that you endure when you're with someone like that. And that's the worst thing is like, you know, they could be the most giving person. This one person that I had been seeing recently was a very, very giving man. And yeah. I remember thinking at the beginning that he's so giving, he's so kind, but he never leaves. Like he will never leave me. And um. I wasn't attracted to him. It was kind of more like a convenience, you know. I thought, well, you know, this is probably the best thing that I could do for myself right now. It's going to get me somewhat on track and I can feel positive and embodied within myself and, and just recollect myself and, you know, try to somewhat make a positive out of a negative with this. And I, I dove in way too deep where I wasn't convinced by him. I wasn't sucked in. I just kind of didn't see it exactly for what it was going to reveal itself to be later on, which later ended up in a domestic um, violent order, um, like a DVO, ABO. And um, 
that's when things became real. And before that, he was gifting me things, which I guess was his love language as well. But at the same time, it was almost like it was a, a cover-up, like it wasn't real. It was just trying to hide all the other imperfections that I hadn't quite seen yet. Um, so his way of abuse was being quite a narcissist, a massive gaslighter, um, tell me one thing, then tell me another. It kept stating that I was mentally ill, that I needed to go see a psychiatrist, psychologist, referring to me as an animal, so like a bow, bird, a dog, um, mm -hmm. a bitch, things like that. And it, this wasn't every day. This was like something that started to happen within two weeks of me realising, holy fuck, like what the hell was I thinking? And why did I allow it to go on for this long? Like I'm glad that it didn't go any further than it did because I have been known to stay around for quite some time but this was quick like this was the quickest relationship I'd ever had um so he kind of revealed this evil toxic side to him where everything was paranoid um to the point where are you seeing the next door neighbor um where have you been what are you doing who is he who are you talking to going through my phone going like not that I have a problem and I don't think anyone really has a problem with their partners going through their phones and whatnot. But if you have a history with other people, there's going to be things on your phone, you know, photos, videos, whatever it might be. And I think they're normal things that we need to um, respect a little bit more and understand the fact that everyone has a history mm -hmm. um, and not all that history needs to be erased. And just because it might be sexual or whatnot, um, I feel that they're, they're also experiences that, you can't replace. They're always going to be memories. So yeah. if that person can't respect where you've come from and can't respect the person that you are today, then they're not the best suit for you. You know, they have to respect you as a whole, your past, everything. And I don't believe that we should focus on the past to define ourselves at all. No. But when someone is becoming quite paranoid and controlling and getting to that point where they're getting very possessive and obsessed with you, that's when things start to get dangerous. So they'll start going through your phone. They'll start accusing you of doing things that you're not doing. They'll start following you, stalking you, even though you're, they're your partner. That stalking and harassment basically is still not okay. Um, it's still abuse. So when they start doing things like that, it starts to become more amplified in their own head. So their head's even louder with these paranoid thoughts and you're the target. So they're projecting all their insecurities and traumas upon you because of maybe a past relationship or maybe a fear that they have or haven't dealt with. Um, unfortunately, mine was very combined with all of that and it came from a place of not just a past or trauma or previous relationships, but now I was realising that he was also using while we were together. So that really amplified everything and I wasn't aware because I was at work pretty well 24-7. So it wasn't until he hit psychosis that I realised, holy shit, he's been like this the whole time, only this is more amplified. And that's when I realised that it's time to get the fuck out. Um, so there's abuse in so many different forms and it's it's not just one, it's another. Like you might be told that, oh, this is sexual abuse, this is sexual assault, this is sexual harassment. Then you've got to like re-go over them all to redefine what it is that you've just gone through and even then they all sound the exact fucking same when you put yeah, them all down do. together um yeah and it's the same with domestic violence you're like there's something that you learn every day something new every day when it comes to domestic violence or sexual harassment sexual assault 
the works. There's always something new that you weren't aware of. Um, and I knew that even with myself in this scenario when I got asked about, oh, how's he, um, how's he being domestically violent towards you? And I was confused. I was like, how do you answer that? Because in my head, I'm thinking if I need to answer this properly and for it to be taken seriously, I have to be hit. Yeah, you know? no, it's so That's true. That's a sad thing. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. And yet they're still like, oh, well, not necessarily because um, all of these things here are domestic abuse, so um, mental abuse, emotional abuse, and, and that's anything from what we discussed before is like um, referring you to an animal or um, putting you down or uh, projecting their paranoid insecurities upon you. You know, the list goes on and on and on. But yet when you sit there and you feel like you are in need to tell them that there is something wrong, that your relationship is really not healthy at all and it's getting worse and you're concerned for your safety, they automatically think that, uh, well, if she hasn't got any bruises or cuts on her or him, then can't be that bad. And that's the sad thing is because it got so difficult for me in the end, especially with the drug use, that it got more dangerous than what I expected it to become to the point where he wanted to um, take us to Valhalla um, he was going in such a psychosis so deep that if I hadn't retracted myself from that situation and left within that moment, I don't know whether or not we'd still be here. Um, his psychosis really took over and you don't really know where that, where that leads to because it becomes unpredictable. Gaslighting and narcissists are very unpredictable behaviours where I feel like you don't just have to be um, a victim of violence uh, to be taken serious. I think we really need to take away the stigma of domestic violence and start re-evaluating the whole situation and re-engaging more conversations about it because domestic violence is, is in so many different forms, but yet we're still only acknowledging one form yeah, um, to take it true. serious. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. Yeah, and you see, I know from relationships I've seen with other people, just even just the verbal abuse or saying if you know if you go out and do this like I'm not going to be there like when you get home and like things little things like that and you pull them up you're like that's not okay but like oh no it's fine like they can't they refuse to see it yeah for what it is it's just this I don't know it's just so normalized that that's okay when it's not oh yeah especially considering if there's a label on it 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 makes them think that oh it's okay you're my partner yeah well yeah but you still don't own me no, no. I think the ownership's a really big problem in monogamous relationships too. So many, oh, yeah. they think that they have this right that they completely do not have. And it's yep. just, yeah. I, I totally agree with that. Yeah. And then they think, I think if they looked into even non-monogamous relationships, it would help them so much in understanding how to be in a relationship and be your own autonomous person and, you know, do all these things and still be able to come home and have this person and have this intimacy without it, you know, being something that can turn toxic or they don't even see it as toxic because they think that's just so normal to have that expectation on them. Yeah, I think that's actually a very valid point because even when it comes to monogamous relationships, I've had some pretty shitty, unhealthy monogamous relationships. However, um, I've had some really fantastic times and really – uh, being able to see myself as a very loyal and compassionate partner, um, that I really love and I do miss that side of things about myself. When I am in a monogamous relationship, I feel like I give my all 
And if I'm not giving my all, then I'm not enough for that relationship because I feel like I need to always be providing somewhat emotionally, mentally, physically, sexually, you know. And when you're attracted to the person or you have that trust there and you've built that up upon friendship before it just being like a one-night stand and going from then on and then on, I think that you build a much stronger connection where there is a lot more respect and understanding for that freedom to be yourself. But coming with a polyamorous relationship too, I, I find that there are some groups and especially with our age as well polyamory is quite difficult if you fall in love and being in a group of people that fall in love creates or creates the illusion that you're a toxic person who can't deal with attachment very well Mm -hmm. um, and has abandonment issues or you know so forth so I think that you really have to be willing to go into a polyamory relationship with one love for all but also not falling in love with one because Mm -hmm. you're going to find yourself deeply hurt um Mm -hmm. but it's a good way of also building confidence and self-esteem i think polyamory teaches you how to love yourself because they're able to show you what you're good at um what you're worthy of it's not just a relationship just solely based on sex or, or providing it's actually uh trying to help build you up grow you learn you um I think that that is a fantastic way of getting to know yourself sexually and to help set up a healthy monogamous relationship. Um, The dynamics are an amazing way of learning yourself and I think that that's something that is very important but also taken out of consideration because of the stigma that comes with that as well. Um, But we also do need to be mindful that in a polyamory relationship it, it is very difficult to build trust I suppose, as well. So if you're going into a monogamous relationship from a polyamory relationship, um, that trust or level of trust is is mainly surrounded about the issues with STDs, STIs, um, who you're seeing intimately in what way. Um, Are we openly communicating that or are we keeping it hidden from the other because we're afraid of hurting them? And they are things that we really do need to work on and discuss openly Um, from coming from polyamory to a monogamous relationship because those fears do come out yeah no I can definitely see that would happen so back to your like domestic violence and sexual assault you said before that you had put like an ABO on someone are you able to explain like the process of reporting domestic violence and sexual assault harassment and what like that process generally involves well, um, I will say that it's a, for me, it's a touchy subject in regards to the, the process um, because, mm-hmm. again, the system for me I find very debilitating um, and I don't want it to turn women or men off the fact that um, reporting it can be quite difficult, but it comes with a hell of a lot more, uh, I suppose, what would you call it, more added trauma um, and it, it just, it's a difficult one. I'm trying to find the right words for it without turning people off. But I, I think that the main thing is to make sure you really have a close friend that you've known for years, whether it be even your parents. If your parents are really close with you and you have an open communication with them and you can talk about sex with them, I think 
that's probably number one best place to go. I know that it, it scares a few people, but we need to build those relationships up with our parents and our best friends or, or the people that are around us daily or, you know, that have been there a long time because without that open communication, it makes it a lot harder to discuss the things that have affected you or to try to define what it is that you've just gone through, whether it's assault, um, harassment, abuse, you name it. Um, so if it is a sexual assault or sexual abuse, right, um, key thing to know is if you really want to make sure that you put this person away and that this person deals with the consequences that come with that, as disgusting as you may feel, uh, do not shower. Do not make the mistake yeah. of showering. Um, you know, if, if you do contract an STD or an SCI or whatnot, um, these are things that you can't already avoid if it's happened. So don't have a shower. Um, first thing is get dressed. Um, play it. Play it as safe as you can. Just be cool. And that's very difficult to do. But I think once you've gone through it, it's a lot easier to just pretend and walk out like as if nothing's happened because you're traumatized um so just uh disassociating your emotions from what's just happened to try to focus on the key point which is don't have a shower make sure you go to your nearest hospital or doctor and tell them straight away that you need a rape kit done sounds horrible they should probably name it something else yeah definitely. Um, it is it's very debilitating it's like yeah. oh, hi <laughs> i'm not here for an appointment um just another rape um yeah. <laughs> that's how it is these days yeah, you know, know. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's disgusting but it's that's what it is and um you know I can't say that I've done that because every time that I have gone through a similar situation or with the recent situation that I had gone through I couldn't be fucked because at this yeah. point I kind of felt like it doesn't matter anymore. Like my body doesn't even feel like my own anymore. And the way that I saw myself was like, it was just this object, just a sexual object that regardless of whether or not I consented to or not, when I do consent to it, I feel like I get the same treatment, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. Like I'm yeah. just another route. Yeah. So I guess it didn't affect me like it did the first time I'd gone through something similar. Um, but I went for a shower and I shouldn't have, I should have used my brain and and around and went, you know what? Fuck, I'm over it. Like, let's actually put these kinds of people away. I didn't go for a shower. I kept it to myself. Um, it happened next to my best friend. Um, so she was aware. She was my witness. So I was kind of lucky in that regard. Um, and then I decided, uh, you know, time to go home. And I was scattered. Like, I was absolutely scattered. And I felt embarrassed and humiliated. But I felt extremely confused because I was like, well, this was her friend that she said was pretty cool. And I believed that and I thought he was really cool. But then out of nowhere, without me even doing anything, like it's funny how a guy thinks that just because you move up against him while you're sleeping or whatever, but that's mm -hmm. an indication that you're horny. Well, what about the fact that I like to be cuddled and I want to be asleep close to someone? Like yeah. I should be normal. Yeah. <laughs> but these sorts of things are overlooked at and uh, I guess – Guys like to come up with the whole excuse that they got mixed uh, mixed signals or whatever they want to put it down to, and I don't believe that. I think that's just absolutely full of shit. It's rubbish. If someone is under the influence of anything whatsoever, whether it be pain, trauma, um, 
you know, uh, drugs, alcohol, anything, if they are under that sort of influence and they're not feeling their themselves or in their right mind, we should be avoiding sex altogether, always, um, because emotionally and mentally, even physically, later on, it's going to hurt. Um, and if not that person that hasn't really got themselves together, it's going to hurt the person who's also influencing or trying to push that on you uh, because at the same time they're probably going to hear more about it in a different way that it's probably not the right perspective. <laughs> it's probably taken the wrong way, you know, and we can do that quite easily as well. Um, but, yeah, definitely, like, don't do the... Don't do the shower in the morning. That's that's my advice. Don't do the shower. Go to the doctor. Say you want a rape kit done. It's uh, They're going to ask you questions about uh, whether or not you had consented and you're going to be confused about that. You probably won't even know how to answer it. And you just tell them exactly what happened. Regardless of whether or not you did consent at the beginning, if something doesn't feel right with you and your body later on, then it's something that is of concern. So always bring it up. Um, it doesn't mean that you're right. doesn't mean that you're wrong. Um, you may just be a little bit confused with trying to ask yourself the questions of what if I did this differently or what if I said this or, you know, how did it come to this even because that is even confusing sometimes. Um, so doing all of that and then after you've done that, uh, you generally go to the police station, which is what happened to me, but that happened to me weeks later. So about four to six weeks, I didn't end up going to the police station until I realised I had support. And unfortunately, my friends um, are still friends with this person uh, because I had made a statement. Um, so when you go through a statement process, they will ask you every single detail to the point where it makes you feel like you are lying. And you can't recount every detail straight away. So when you go in there with that emotional baggage and trauma of what's just happened, your mind's not thinking straight. So your times are all over the place. Um, you're not too sure whether or not you did something first or they did something first. And you can't really picture or imagine exactly how it played out. So everything comes across scattered. Um so they will go over those details with you, not just once, not just twice, but if you're wanting to make a statement, they will go over it at least four to five times, if not more, just to get every single detail and time right. So it has to be the nitty gritty stuff too. You know, you have to make sure you let them know that, yes, he pulled my pants down um, and this is hypothetically speaking, yeah. pulled my pants down and put his finger inside my ass and uh, fucked me with his penis um, in my vagina. That's how it has to be stated. If that yeah. is what happened, you have to say it. Um, you can't go around it and be like, oh, you know, he, uh, I don't know what sort of words people generally use now, like boinked me, he boinked me <laughs> and he touched me down there. You can't use those sorts yeah. of words. <laughs> it doesn't work. And they'll always be like, what do you mean, but what do you mean he touched you down there? Um, was it erect? Like they're going to ask you all those uncomfortable questions where, even sometimes you yourself don't know how to answer because you're uncomfortable. Um, they don't make it a very comfortable situation for you to, to feel confident in telling your story, especially if you want to go ahead with it. So 
you'll go through that process of giving the statement and then they will go through your phone if there's any video evidence or voice recordings, um, text messages, anything over your social media accounts, so forth. Um, if there's been any contact between you and this person that sort of showed signs prior that they um, already had the idea that they were going to do something with you or um, put you under the influence of something, then they need that evidence so they'll collect all your data which will probably take anywhere up to two to six hours to collect it all from your phone um, it will collect every single thing off your phone which i guess does turn people off especially if they're drug users like even to something like smoking weed so a lot of women also from nudes or drug use or whatever you want to call it they refuse to really give up that side of the their phone um, or evidence so sometimes it doesn't get done and it's not enough because it's like he said, she said. So if you don't have the rape kit done and all you have is your words and the story, then it makes it 10 times more difficult. Um, so you put your phone in and you do that. And then later on, uh, once they've collected all the data that they need and collected screenshots, whatnot, they will make you sign the document over. So that says that you consent to um, what you have just told the police, that everything you've told them is true, and uh, you're willing to go ahead with the, the next round, which is uh, talking to counsellors. Um, you'll be given a case manager that will work with victims of violence. Victims of violence uh, work with a lot of different organisations like uh, moving against violence i think or moving moving in moving out i can't really recall exactly what it was yeah. um but i can give you all those details as well um so they they work with different organizations that help women uh remove themselves from de domestic violent relationships um also to re-engage in uh their life um in society again to just kind of help them build themselves up uh find themselves work find themselves a place to live um, help with budgeting, all that sort of thing. Uh, they do try to assist with counselling, uh, which you will need to go to a doctor for a mental health plan, and that will come for you free. I think it's about 20 sessions that you get out of that. And you can apply for relocation as well. So you can get anywhere between five to seven grand to relocate if you're in a domestic violent relationship, um, given the fact that you've got the right amount of evidence. Um, which generally speaking will be a DVO uh, if that person has previous DVOs or a history of violence, um, things like that, that will help. Um, and so once you've done that, then you literally sit and wait. Um, unfortunately, I'm still waiting, uh, <laughs> which isn't, it isn't great, but they do have a, a funny way of dealing with these sorts of things. They don't go in straight away. They kind of sit around and wait for you to engage with all these services. And by the end of it, you're kind of sick of telling your story. Yeah. You're sick of going over the same evidence. You're sick of trying to find counselling and psychiatrists and psychologists that work for you because, let's be honest, it's just like taking antidepressants. Not everyone fucking suits you. Yeah. Um, and you don't vibe with everyone all the time. Yeah, so of course. jumping from one to another, it just doesn't work. Yeah. Um, so you're getting put through a process that is, not only a lengthy one, but by the end of it, you're sort of even more insecure. You're even more confused. You're doubting yourself. And now you're really like thinking, hang on a second, was it consent or was this sexual abuse? Was this sexual assault? Is this sexual harassment? Like, why is everyone still talking to a rapist? Hello? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. I thought we were trying to 
weed out these kinds of people and uh, try to forget about the stigma of women saying, hey, I didn't consent to that and try to normalise the fact that this shit happens in everyday society to men and women on a daily fucking basis and sometimes even in the workplace. So why the hell are we still friends with people that are sexually abusing or assaulting and harassing women and men? Why do we give them the credit? And why are they working in places where there are women, men and children that visit quite frequently? They, they shouldn't be allowed. No, it shouldn't. Um, no. So I find it a very difficult process. It is debilitating. It is a lengthy one. Um, I wasn't a fan. It was the first time that I actually had gone to tell my story and prayed that uh, this person would be put away so that he was weeded out of our friendship circle. But um, now I feel even more embarrassed and humiliated. Um, yeah, which is horrible. Yeah, because nothing's happened either. So, like, the police haven't came and arrested him. Um, they haven't even, like, gone to uh, put a court order on him or uh, get him to court in regards to the situation. And I do admit, like, I have signed that statement, but at the same time, um, it would take me days for all my data to come off my phone in regards to that situation because there's so much um, to put against the case. And uh, I couldn't do it with work. Like I just did not have the time and I really needed my mobile for my family and so forth. So I had to kind of avoid that for a little while. Um, but even then, like they've not gotten in contact with me. They've not uh, messaged me to see how I'm doing or whether or not I'm ready to come in and do that. So the follow-up has been rather shit. Um, that's made me feel like a bit like as if I'm a liar or maybe yeah. I got it all wrong. But I know within myself I didn't, I didn't yeah. get that wrong. It, so um, it is difficult. Yeah, it's just so shit that they have these systems and they're just not efficient and they end up making the person who's reported feel worse and in, in yeah. the end like that's so fucked up it should be yeah. a process that although obviously it's not going to be the most comfortable process makes you feel as comfortable as you can and that you have the right to be reporting and you know trying to get something done about it and then people wonder why yeah. people don't come forward and then they're like well they must like it mustn't have really been rape if they if they haven't gone and reported it like why didn't they report yeah. it but it's a shit fucking no, system it's so true. The system is so difficult and they make the process so lengthy where like, I mean, I understand that there are some people out there that have been wrongly accused of such things yeah. and yeah. totally understand. I know how easy that would be as well, because look how difficult it is for us to even work out what is the difference between sexual assault, sexual harassment, um, sexual abuse. Like, they they are so similar and there isn't really much that separates them from one another. So, how do you know whether or not it is um, an assault or harassment or, or something that is worthy of being charged for? You don't really know. Um, yeah. And you don't know whether or not you're doing the right thing. I, I know it's difficult for men these days to know whether or not the signals are as how they perceive to be because, let's face it, now that there's more drugs and alcohol involved, like we think we're capable of making the right moves and, and creating the best situation out of whatever circumstances is happening. But in saying that at the same time, sometimes we we just don't take much notice of what we are doing that may signal the fact that we're interested. And that's sad that we have to be aware of that now. Mm -hmm. And I, I find that very disgusting that we now need to be more aware of how we dress, um, how we speak, 
um, the things that we joke about or what we say because that can be taken as overly sexual, like we are interested mm-hmm. in as well, that we're very yeah. open people. Um, and also, like, just the topics of conversations that we may have where we might be open about sex like we are now, but someone else on the sideline will see that as a sexualized thing, whereas yeah. it's not um, educational in a way. So yeah. it's very difficult to separate yourself from whether or not what you're doing at the time is right or wrong or if you're getting the right signals or if you're yeah. not communicating in the right way. Um, how do we fix that? Open communication, but at the same time, no matter how much communication there is or how much more of a bigger list we add to that sexual abuse, sexual assault, sexual harassment, rape, um, domestic violence, you know, all those sorts of things, no matter how much we add to that, we will still never be able to really define it now because there's always something else being added. Yeah, Um, there is, definitely. Yeah. So, I mean, reporting those sorts of things, um, especially talking to your GP about those sorts of things or even your friends and family, it is difficult to work out whether or not you've done the wrong thing because people imply without really saying it to your face that, yeah, but are you sure you didn't, like, come across too sexual or you sure you weren't overly friendly or you know things like that and it's so shit that people second guess that like you should you you should be allowed (laughs) to wear what you want go out you talk about sex with someone just because you're talking about sex with someone even if you do it you know in a way that's you know really like sexual towards them doesn't mean you have to they have the right to fuck you yeah, like, no. It's literally, <laughs> even I found since making this podcast, especially because like I've been on Tinder and stuff, the amount of guys yeah. that instantly think, "Oh, she's a sex podcast. I I can do whatever I want." Or they'll come over and have sex with me, and they'll just put their finger in my ass because I have an episode on anal, so therefore wow. I must have <laughs> anal. And I'm like, "What the fuck are you doing?" Wow, literally, yeah, yeah. like it's just <laughs> it. It's so fucked up. Gosh. Like it's, yeah. It is. Yeah. I think like personality wise, people are like, they would probably find themselves a little bit intimidated by you too. Yeah. Because that confidence that comes with talking about sex means like, it, it somewhat makes you feel even sexier about yourself because you're like, I'm yeah. confident. I know what I'm doing. And yeah. yes, I want to learn more. And yes, I'm very intrigued by it. Like, it's not just about sex. I find no. that this whole thing of talking about sex, especially starting this podcast, is all about being a liberated, like having that excitement, re-engage with yourself, finding yourself, knowing the pros and cons and what to do, what not to do, um, what's wrong, what's right. Like there really isn't a middle there because you can no. go anywhere with those experiences and you're always going to have a new experience. And what better place to do it? than to come on here and do something like this and talk about sex openly, but also having the new opened experiences where people are going to notice that you do do these sorts of podcasts. You are going to encounter people that are really just interested in getting to know your sexual side. Yeah, That's difficult also. So those experiences are probably somewhat worth it for the rest of your episodes as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, very true. Now I'm going to stop the recording there. The second half, trust me, Shaggers, is just as important in the first half. We do get a little bit more lighthearted, but it's also still super, super important. And please make sure you do not miss out on the second half of this. I just want to do a quick thank you to Amber. You're amazing. And I'm so grateful that you have shared this 
with the sealed section and for all the shaggers to be able to hear your story. I will put in the description support services available. Amber and I do talk about them in next week's episode. However, for anyone struggling right now and who needs help now, they will be in the description. So thank you, shaggers. I will see you for next week's episode. Don't forget to send any of your comments, questions, stories to either my Instagram at the sealed section or my email emilyduncan at thesealedsection.com. Please subscribe so you can keep up to date when next week's episode drops and leave a review as I would love to know what you're thinking. Mm-hmm.